This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Well, July 26th, 1990, was indeed an historic day. On that day, the Americans with Disabilities Act was signed into law. On that day, America became better. Because we know an accessible America is a better America. This week does indeed mark the 31st anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which prohibited discrimination on the basis of disability. The White House marked it on the anniversary itself, July 26, as you just heard the uh, Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, discussing. And we're going to talk about the ADA, its significance, uh, where it may go, how it continues to evolve, uh, with our White House correspondent, Niels Lesniewski. Niels, welcome to Political Theater. It's always good to be back. Excellent. Uh, it's good to have you back. So uh, on Monday, we did get a, uh, a White House event in the Rose Garden, a nice sweltering day uh, for, for everybody. Um, but they, they wanted to, to mark the, the anniversary of the signing uh, of, of the ADA. And, um, you know, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about what that event was like, because it wasn't just, it seemed to me it was not just about the law itself, but what the president and his team wanted to say about the law and where they go from here. And also like on a more meta level that bipartisanship, which the, the president preaches a lot works. Right. The, the event uh, Monday sort of allowed the president to reflect on legislation uh, that moved through when he was obviously already a long time uh, Senator and some of his his closest friends and allies in the Senate at the time uh, were instrumental in getting the Americans with Disabilities Act into law to begin with. You know, he he mentioned during Monday's uh, ceremony folks like um, the late Senator Ted Kennedy, like Senator Tom Harkin, who was a, a longtime Democratic senator from Iowa who championed it, and also Republicans uh, like Bob Dole, the, the longtime Republican leader in the Senate, uh, and, and the role that they all had in, in seeing this uh, landmark legislation uh, through to fruition. And that was a lot of what they were sort of talking about, but also what has not yet been done uh, in the field of uh, disability rights and accessibility 
Uh, particularly, it seemed, uh, the focus on Monday was as it pertains to barriers to the ballot box. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit, because, I mean, this is, uh, you know, one of those, you know, the, just roadblocks that's been thrown up uh, in, in the Senate in particular. I mean, it, the about the Republicans do not want to advance, uh, they don't want to even debate the, um, you know, the voting rights legislation that passed the House or even any kind of versions of it, because they see that it might be, you know, just tantamount to a federal takeover of elections. Um, but, like, you know, they, without, so without any kind of bipartisan, um, you know, thrust on this legislation, it's not going anywhere. And we actually have a clip of of Biden talking about how the ADA, you know, wouldn't have happened without bipartisanship because it was signed by President George H.W. Bush and, and passed by a Democratic Congress in 1990. Perhaps most importantly, we did it together. This was a Democratic bill signed by a Republican president, a product of passion and compassion, not partisanship. Progress that wasn't political, but personal to millions of families. I'm glad you pointed this out, you know, in the story that you wrote earlier in the week for, um, for you know, off of the event, that this is, this almost had a couple of dual purposes. It was like, let's talk about, you know, the, the ADA, let's talk about bipartisanship, and let's also talk about voting rights, because we need Republicans on board in order for voting rights legislation to advance. So where are they, where are they putting their attention when it comes to voting rights within, you know, sort of vis-a-vis the, the, the uh, ADA? In this context, it's, it's largely about um, access to polling places themselves um, and certainly making sure that uh, there, is, there are options for uh, voting that are easier um, for folks who may have uh, physical or intellectual um, disabilities uh, to be able to um, both, you know, sometimes it's simply a matter of if you've got a polling machine that someone can't reach because they're in a wheelchair or there's a case where, you know, sometimes if you have someone with a, uh, a physical limitation, these hours of standing in line in the hot sun or whatever that you may encounter in parts of the country um, are not uh, exactly conducive uh, to um, helping people who, who may have uh, disabilities. You know, the other thing that I was thinking of was the question of whether or not you're allowed to sort of vote from your car. Mm-hmm. I know this has become an issue, uh, particularly in Texas. Drive-through voting, right, uh, right. Drive-through voting. You know, there are, there, are, there are people for whom I suppose, you know, it's really much easier I guess it's much easier for most people, but it, but there are people with particular physical challenges for whom being able to vote from their vehicle curbside is is a lot easier than having to to go through the entire process of of getting into a building in order to uh, be able to vote, especially when you know who knows whether or not the building will have a uh, a ramp that is appropriately configured and automatic doors. And, and one of the things that was mentioned on Monday is what happens when there's a broken elevator and the polling station is on the second or third floor of a building. Right. You, you would think that in, in a country where you can 
buy booze in a drive-up window, you'd be able to vote also. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, speaking from experience in my own home state of Arizona, we have drive-up, you know, liquor stores, uh, and 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 we're not alone uh, in, in that. And yet, there are all these barriers that are being erected. Um, and I, I mean, there is also this strange irony that, like, Texas is is you know, the Republican-led legislature and the Republican governor of Texas are sort of leading the charge. They're trying to pass uh, more sort of restrictive voting uh, access laws in in Texas. And the governor himself is is somebody who's disabled. He's in a wheelchair himself, and yet it's sort of full steam ahead. That's that's certainly one of the things that, that uh, comes into play here. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about on, on Monday was the access at the event uh, itself. Uh, frankly, they had done some work to improve the uh, accessibility for uh, the Rose Garden event. Um, but that, as is always the case at the White House, there was any array of wires that people could have tripped over. And there, there were, you know, certainly I was in the press briefing room uh, immediately or almost immediately after the event, and it was it was just um, something that definitely crossed my mind that it would be really difficult uh, for someone who um, may have really uh, significant mobility challenges to uh, even access the uh, the seating configuration in the White House press briefing room if they were a, a, a journalist. And and sort of making this point also about the need for accessibility, even you know, at a place like the White House, you'd think it would be a no-brainer, but we had Jim Langevin, you know, the Democrat from Rhode Island, he's the very first quadriplegic who uh, was elected to Congress. And, you know, the, the House has very... I think somewhat slowly adapted to the fact that they have had this member for for several terms now, that there are still accessibility issues uh, getting in and out of the house and the lobby. The doors are very heavy. Like you don't have a lot of automatic doors. So Langevin is somebody who has been, you know, um, you know, around for a while and he was at this white house event. And yet there were still areas where even he could have been, you know, sort of tripped up by, by you said, like a bunch of cables, TV cables, wires, that kind of stuff. It is uh, always a, uh, a challenge in, in covering these sorts of events because, you know, and as you say about the, the Capitol building, the Capitol building is probably far worse um, than the White House even in this regard. I mean, one of the recurring um, frustrations that I run into um, operating in and around the Capitol building um, is the number of doorknobs that I run into. Uh, so so my, um, you know, my impairment is, is relatively minor in the grand scheme of things, uh, but I definitely, you know, had, had a stroke when I was born and I have had... Um, limited mobility on my, my right side to some extent. And one of the things that is actually really challenging for me, uh, which, which doesn't, doesn't rise to the level of being terribly significant, but it's very difficult if I'm holding something in my left hand, I really can't open a door uh, that has a doorknob uh, with my right hand without putting down whatever I was carrying in my left hand. Um, and I run into that in the Capitol building in particular all the time. 
and 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 this is also something that is you know it became it became an issue i mean it was an issue with ada compliance because these doors are massively heavy i mean they're solid a lot of them are solid oak <laughs> and they're difficult they're difficult for you know anybody you know to 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 open and then and now we even have like the 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 added challenge of um, you know, it seemed like a, a very, very common sense that we would have like uh, foot openers for a lot of doors, especially in the age of COVID. I mean, this was something that people were like, hey, this just seems to make sense in bathrooms that you never know who's washed their hands. Why not provide us with an option to open doors with our feet? And like even even all this, even with all this, we're still very far behind the curve uh, in, in this. And, and as you said, the, the, the capital, I mean, granted, the capital is a much bigger complex uh, than, than the White House, but it, it is a... A, it is kind of one big barrier <laughs> to to accessibility. Um, the I, I wanted to uh, bring up a couple of um, couple of just facts, you know, that I'd, I'd sort of written down. Uh, so, it, you know, un, Congress is exempt from a lot of laws, like sort of, for instance, the Freedom of Information Act, as we have found out when we've tried to find inf- information or when people have said, "Why can't you, why can't you just FOIA that?" Um, but one of the things that they are supposed to do is adhere to the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, the Office of Congressional Workplace Rights conducts an audit. Uh, They're supposed to conduct an audit every two years um, to to identify barriers and to work with the architect of the Capitol and the, the you know and, and the various entities who can address these barriers and, and try to break them down. The most recent audit that has been publicly available is from the 114th Congress. We're in the 117th Congress. Uh, in that audit, which was completed years after the 114th Congress concluded in October of 2019, they identified 2,568 barriers in the House and Senate office buildings and in the Capitol itself. Um, are, they say that they have done an audit recently. <laughs> they didn't give that much of a timeline. They said it was conducted late last year. Granted, late last year was crazy time uh, with, with the pandemic. Uh, and the Office of Congressional Workplace Rights says that there are now 1,632 barriers that they've identified, primarily in member offices and in the office buildings. But they haven't made that available. I mean, it's just this, to, to, to people who think that this, you know, this is sort of a done deal, like we have this law and, we, and like it, things take care of themselves. Congress itself, <laughs> as we can see, is, is one of the, you know, is still not, you know, complying. No, and and if you uh, are you know watching congressional hearings or um, paying attention to uh, congressional events, you know one thing I don't know if I've I won't say I've never seen it, but but one thing that's a rather infrequent sight in the Capitol building is a sign language interpreter too, um, which has become normal practice. Uh, if you stream the White House press briefing. Um, uh, on the White House website or their uh, YouTube channel, uh, there is a separate box by default uh, with a with a with a sign language interpreter, and and you know I don't know, frankly I don't know how long it will be before um, the regular events in the Capitol are all um, given the same sort of treatment, and I don't expect it to be anytime soon. That's, that's one thing that the, um, the in, in the House, they have the Select Committee on Modernizing Congress, and one of their recommendations is that they, you know, that particularly information that's provided virtually, you know, over when there's a virtual um, 
hearing or the information on a member's website itself or especially through smartphones if people are getting it that way that there is that that does take into account that people either need sign interpreters or closed captioning or 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 things like that or like that you know if if you're blind and you're trying to access this information that it needs to be translated to sound like some of the information so it's it, they are working on it but like it seems like congress is always kind of working on <laughs> on these uh these things i um I, w- I want to also just note that there, the, the president, in addition to recognizing the anniversary and making a pitch for bipartisanship and and putting attention, putting some of the spotlight on voting rights, that he made some news too. Uh, and we have a, a, a clip that we can, and we can talk about that a little bit more. I'm proud to announce a new effort, the first of its kind, to help Americans grappling with long-term effects of COVID-19 that doctors call long covid Many Americans who seemingly recover from the virus still face lingering challenges like breathing problems, brain fog, chronic pain or fatigue. These conditions can sometimes, can sometimes rise to the level of a disability. So we're bringing agencies together to make sure Americans with long COVID who have a disability have access to the rights and resources that are due under the disability law. Actual news uh, from from one of these events too, and and this is this is something that I mean is the we're just now beginning to you know understand some of these long term effects. Long haulers, they're also referred to people who have long COVID, and that includes some members of Congress too. Like uh, you know, there have been some members who have said that they they fear that they are uh, you know like suffering from some of these effects like Tim Kaine had mentioned this uh, recently that he he's like a little concerned about like the long-term effects of having COVID and that, and that's just one senator yeah it's no surprise that uh, the the long COVID um, effects some of which are clearly chronic uh, conditions uh, would qualify people for for some of the um, accommodations under the ADA and and related laws uh, but it, it presumably is a good thing uh, that the administration went ahead and made that clear um, in in the event that, you know, once we get past whenever it is and, and given the return of, of uh, masking guidance from the CDC, who knows how long it may be. But, you know, once we get past the um, immediate sort of national emergency uh, situation. Uh, this is something that employers, whether it's the private sector or or the government, are, are going to need to continue to be aware of because it is another condition uh, that will will need to be uh, protected, um, and 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 employers will need to make reasonable accommodations to folks who um, end up battling. Um, COVID and its related uh, symptoms uh, well beyond the fa- fact of time that uh, most of us are paying any attention to it. Yeah, it's a, it provides a very concrete example of how the ADA kind of evolves and that like we, as we get, you know, as, as our own, you know, life and, and the way that we live it and the diseases that we're exposed to or, or things like that, uh, you know, that this, this law is there to accommodate that. And it's, it, it, gets, it provides a very vivid example. Um, before, before we wrap up, I, I wanted to also mention, you know, because, you know, the, the president uh, mentioned Bob Dole, 
in in his remarks at the White House, and that reminded the, the both of us when we were talking about how Dole, you know, Dole just turned ninety eight years old. Uh, he is in a wheelchair now, uh, and and he, you know, he has for a long time he tried to, you know, he was very much a champion of a separate, you know, separate thing. And this is not doesn't have to do with ADA, but I think it's just sort of relevant and it ties in, which is the UN Disability Treaty, which would guarantee, uh, you know, certain universal human rights, uh, of, you know, based on on disability. This is a treaty that he, you know, it, the, the U.S. has not uh, ratified. Uh, and there was this sort of you know, this moment, sort of an inflection point in 2012 when Dole actually went to the the Senate himself uh, to try to lobby his colleagues, his and particularly the, you know, get over the uh, Republican opposition. And let, let's just talk about what that, what happened back then because it was just this very dramatic moment and shows you that we, we still have a ways to go uh, on, on other things. Yeah, it was, it was, it was certainly a, um, a day that I don't think any of us who were covering uh, the Senate at that point in time will forget. This was back in December, uh, early December, twenty twelve. Yeah, and and it, because it was it was clear as um, our our former colleague Meredith Shiner wrote in the the story covering the event that day that it wasn't Bob Dole's Senate anymore. He couldn't um, show up and wrangle. Um, Republican votes. I think he was 89 years old or so at the time, um, but he couldn't um, get it over the the threshold. The the opposition to uh, sort of the argument or the argument that an international treaty would uh, be problematic for the United States was was too um, overwhelming on the Republican side, and it was. Um, sort of one of those days where um, it was one of maybe the earlier signs of of how much things had changed uh, from the 90s. And it is something that I think was one of those events where we realized this wasn't the same Senate it used to be. And, and sometimes I wonder the extent to which the current president is still sort of longing for a time that has in fact passed, uh, and and that was certainly a day that it looked like the the old the old Senate of Bob Dole and Joe Biden and Ted Kennedy and 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 the like uh, was 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 no more. And still, this disability treaty is is still not ratified. Um, so. Uh, a, a sign that the you know kind of the for for advocates of of disability rights, I mean this these issues do not go away. Um, so, Niels, thanks for uh, talking about this. I mean it was a lot to uh, unpack. We covered a lot of topics, but I when when we started talking about doing this podcast, I'm just I really I'm really glad that we were able to to do this because you know things just so so take a life on their own uh and you know we the fact that we actually had a monday event that had both news and ceremony with it uh i i just i wanted to make sure that we noted that and came back to it before uh you know before turn, returning to other other topics that can really take up a lot of our time so thank you very much thank you <laughs>